something that always, always works is just to give people a ton of agency. One of the most frustrating things I think that can lead to despair, demoralization, and burnout is, is the micromanagement aspect of it. You need to give them, you know, direction. And you could do that in an inspiring way of like, we want to make a game that speaks to this kind of player, or we want to make a game that wins a bunch of BAFTA awards, or whatever the goal is. Many leaders are out there are already in this situation. Their teams are burned out. There's demoralization. There's despair, hopelessness. And now you're a leader. Have you been on a team experiencing game dev burnout? What do you do when your team thinks the goals are impossible and starts to disengage? How do you prevent development from descending into despair and hopelessness in the first place? Demoralization, despair, and burnout are common in the game industry. What started as a dream job often ends up feeling like a slow march towards inevitable failure, all while spending more and more time working. Game dev is not for the faint of heart. But just because you're in game dev doesn't mean things have to end up that way. There are ways to prevent and overcome the exhaustion and hopelessness that too many studios experience. Today, we're talking to Greg Street, aka Ghostcrawler, the legendary design director over products like Age of Empires 2, World of Warcraft, and League of Legends. Greg has recently started his own studio, Fantastic Pixel Castle, and is here to talk about what it means to lead through and around burnout and despair. Welcome to Building Better Games, Greg. Do you want to give us a quick intro of who you are? Thanks. I mean, you kind of covered it. My name is Greg Street, and I run a new studio called Fantastic Pixel Castle. We are making a MMO. Awesome. So uh, the the origin of this topic was I, I, I asked you, what is something you don't talk about a ton? But that seems important for leaders in game development. And you, I remember you were just kind of thinking for a while, and then you were like, morale, team morale, burnout, despair, hopelessness. Um, what, what made that come to mind? I mean, honestly, the, the timing, this is a rough time in the game industry with, you know, the end of um, December 2023, January 2024, like massive layoffs. Um, there's survivor's guilt, there's teams that have to continue on and, and still make games while seeing, you know, all of this, this, this bad news in the press and seeing their friends looking for jobs and things like that. So I thought, not that it's entirely possible, but what can you do as a leader to try to, um, you know, keep things going, like keep forward momentum, not give in to despair and just lose weeks of development time? Are the fundamentals different today than they were 10 or 15 years ago? around addressing this problem? That's a great question. I think I think the fundamentals are different. Um, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, the industry was just less mature in the way we made things, right? So it was, let's just have a bunch of cool people sit around and, and make a game and hopefully we, we, you know, we get something good. Um, we didn't have really great um, systems around production schedules or, or knowing like, is the team ahead or behind or should we make pivots or, or things like that? So I think, I think it has changed. Earlier, I would say a lot of it was, am I having fun on my day-to-day -day job making a game? Do I get to do cool stuff? And now there's that added layer of, um, we think, I think overall, we think more about the business and that's healthy, but it can also, I think, be demoralizing for teams who are like, I just want to be here to make games. As people deal with, the personal difficulties that come out of things like layoffs and come out of things like burnout. And you have, for example, like 
a, a, a the most I've ever seen like a high animosity relationship between this group of people who are perceived as like the business people and then the group of people who are perceived to be like the makers, the workers or the creators. And it's interesting because I've I've found and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this, that it's hard to have that conversation in a rational way. I think actually both sides react highly emotionally when things get really tough, as you would expect. And, and I don't, there's not a judgment there. It's just an observation. And, and one of the things, again, I've realized is like in this moment where tensions are extremely high, because like literally thousands of people have been laid off in the last couple of weeks, you can't just come in and be like, well, let's think about the evolution of the games. Did you know it's still growing by five? Per like no one wants to hear that. Right. And, and, and understandably so. So I'm, I'm curious, like what comes up for you when you think about all of that and the sort of emotion, that high, high charged emotion that's involved. Yeah. One of the problems I still struggle with as a leader is my go to is logic. And so I'm like, well, logically, let's look, we were spending more money than we were making, but that's, that is not what people want to hear now. They're in an emotional place. And so I've, I'm getting better at it, but it's still a struggle of sometimes, you, you know, a logical response to an emotional problem is, is never going to land. You need to, you need to either answer with emotion or just give it space, you know? No one right now wants to hear about, oh, yeah, I guess we took too long to make that game. Or I guess we all grew too much during COVID and now we need to shrink a little bit like that. It, it comes across as cold because it is, you know, cold, out of touch, mean. They're not at all interested in like breaking down why that happened or what led to that. That's just not an interesting conversation to them. And in fact, I think sadly, in some cases, what is a way more interesting conversation for them is like, who do I blame? And, and, and who can I be angry at? And, um, and why did this, why did this happen to me? Like, or, or let's talk about if this is fair or not, whatever that means. And so there's a lot of this energy in the air. And, you know, as, as we talk about burnout and depression and things like that, I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and, and then we're now coming off COVID right for a couple of years, I've heard senior leaders in games say like, I, I am taking that therapy role more than I ever thought I would take in my one-on-ones and things like that. And so it's like, but what else can you do? Well, so, so let's tie it back into the idea of, um, burnout of that, that again, despair, the hopelessness, the, and really, you know, demotivation, right. Is often where it starts. There's just, again, a demoralizing effect that happens and that may come from layoffs. Um, I saw several posts from people that were saying half my team is gone. Um, and just thinking about that and, and, you know, I would love to think that the leaders there were going, well, obviously we won't get as much done as we were going to get done before, but often that part of the planning is skipped, um, and everything is still expected. Um, and so you're left you know, with this big burden, but it leaves you in this place of, yeah, like, okay, am I running towards burnout? Like, is, is anybody paying attention? Is, is there, is there light at the end of the tunnel or will it just be rough year into rougher year into rougher year until I get fired or, you know, finally have a mental break and have to quit or something? Yeah, it's, um, a lot of people are being asked to do with less, like, Let's say, for sake of argument, your game wasn't bringing in the numbers it needed to, and now you can't afford to keep the whole team, so you you shrink. But now 
you still need to turn the business around. You still need to sell the game. And now you have fewer people to do it with or you cut features or, you know, you no longer have esports, you no longer have PvP or whatever. Um, God, that's hard. Like, not only are you being kind of dealing with the uh, consequences of of not hitting the success you wanted, but now you're like doing it with even fewer resources at your disposal. That's really hard. Something that came up uh, as we're talking about this and, and it's it's. Interestingly enough, I have not heard it that much as a complaint, although there was like a Game Informer article, uh, I think last week that poked at Riot a little bit on this particular topic, Um, whether that's fair or not. um, I'm going to be honest, I haven't done like intellectual breakdowns of all the layoffs and like, you know, created a chart of like which level they were at. Um, But there is this feeling right now of you know, the the poor graphic artist or the poor junior designer or the producer that's out on their ass now that lost their job. Basically, they were laid off. And um, what feels like they they were the ones who ultimately suffered the consequences or, or in effect were held accountable for the poor business decisions that led us to this point. Right. Like you you at the top levels, I guess not even at the top levels, I was going to say the top levels of the company you're encouraged to take bold bets and like, hey, let's try some crazy things because we're not going to succeed if we if we don't go big. And then when they don't work out, your job as a leader is, well, I need to make the hard calls to shut down these programs. And, and sometimes I'm making the call to let people go. And so it's like where and you hear this all over LinkedIn and the Internet right now. It's like, where's the accountability? If if a leader screws up that bad, whatever that means, should they take a pay cut? Should they be let go as well? Um but it seems like, you know, we, we celebrate mistakes. We should. And so we celebrate when a leader is like, yeah, we made this bold bet. We tried it. It didn't work. Now we're going to have to try something else. Um, meanwhile, all these people lose their jobs. Like, that's pretty weird. When you see that, having been in those, like, very senior leadership roles in multiple companies, what is your sort of diagnosis Um, you know, you kind of mentioned, well, maybe you're rewarded when it goes well and you're rewarded when it doesn't, because we want to celebrate mistakes and okay, cool. But but maybe it's rather than what's your diagnosis, maybe it's how would you go about solving that? You know, a fantastic pixel castle gets huge, right? Maybe that happens, you know, in 10 years, you're the next riot, you're 5,000 people, uh, or something like that, whatever, you know, pick a big number, right? Um, what, what are you trying to set up to avoid this? What I try to tell my, you know, my direct reports is you own this problem space. If you want to take a big risk, go big. If the risk doesn't work out, make sure you have a mitigation strategy. So number one, like, let's talk about what happens if the business shrinks. What are we going to do that? Are we going to lay people off? Are we going to, you know, do we have enough money in the bank to wait it out? Um, And secondly, like, no one's going to lose their job over one mistake, even a big mistake. It's more of if it's a pattern and you're kind of not learning from the mistakes, that's that's an actual performance problem at that point. And I mean, I don't know enough behind the scenes of any of the current layoffs to know where that might or might not be happening. But the other thing I think you could do as a leader is and I learned this from from Jeff Kaplan at Blizzard is always use we when you're talking about the team, obviously, until there's a problem and then you immediately shift to I. It's like just own every problem if you're the leader. Like, yeah, we didn't make our, we didn't hit our target date, that's on me. Or we hired some people that were disruptive to the culture, that's on me. Like, even if it's not on you, 
if you that's just part of, I think, being a leader is taking it. And it really can help inspire the team. When you start using the we language around like, yeah, we made these big bets and now we have to pay for it. It's like, well, you're not paying for it. You still have your job. I do feel like the the lopsided nature of this is one of the things that is creating a lot of frustration for junior people or people perhaps on the bottom half of the hierarchical ladder right now. It's just like the feeling that like they bear the brunt of all of the mistakes and that um, and it's you know, even simple things like I, everyone's like, we're going to dice. We're going to we're going to have a we're going to have a great time. Meet you at dice. Meet you at dice. And I'm like, guys, like optics. Hello. You know, like how? Yeah. How many hundreds of thousands of dollars are you spending on fancy dinners and stuff? Like, I mean, in, a, in those may be apples and oranges, but there's this thought that keeps coming in my head where it's like, are we showing the proper level of awareness there? Because I, I can't help but feel like that dovetails into a lot of burnout and depression, too. My go to in like almost all these situations is to be as transparent as you can with the team. And um, like, say you're making a, a, a risky product and you don't know if it's gonna to bust out or, or win its market or not. I think you just be really upfront with the team of like, yeah, we're going into a crowded market space. Let's say we're making an extraction shooter and everyone's making an extraction shooter right now. We're going into a crowded marketplace. We believe in our product, but we just don't know. Like, this is such a hit-driven business. Something could happen. The market could shift. A, a huge game could come out just before we do. This is what it'll mean to the company if you know if that doesn't happen. And then you're kind of calling your shots and people understand, oh, we're putting a lot on the line. Um, a lot of times I see companies where they they launch a game and it does okay and they celebrate it a lot because they wanna, you know, they wanna pat the team on the back that just took this to the to the end, which they should, but but also just kind of being honest that like, yeah, but it took us seven years to make this game, it was very expensive, it's going to be a challenging to win that back. Um, that it's less of a shock when it happens. Yeah, I think I think also you get you get to that place where we're all so excited, and then six months later, because we haven't been able to turn this around, now it's time for a round of layoffs on that project that we all were just celebrating wildly, and um, like that's not an uncommon thing to happen either. And again, it, I, I appreciate what you said. If you're open all the way through that, if you go, hey, we launched. We're really glad we launched simultaneously product isn't doing as well as we were hoping. Um, and so all those things we've talked about before about how this was a risky bet. And if this doesn't do really well, like there's stuff stuff's going to have to give from a company, you know, from a business side of things. Um, I think I think it sort of prepares people. Yeah, <clears throat> there's you know, it's interesting, too. It's like. I, I I don't know. This might be a slight like kind of off road topic, but there's one thing that comes up for me constantly, which is I've always respected the few times in my career I've observed leaders in very actionable positions because they have large organizations or they have big budgets behind them or whatever to have the courage, frankly, to take a step back and be like, hey, I don't think this is hitting the mark. I think we actually need to spin this down proactively in a way that still gives us breathing room to be able to make a different decision or like rehome those people or whatever. I think that like in the moment, I think we underestimate how much risk those leaders incur because not only are they proactively messaging to the company that they failed, 
even before anyone else really cares necessarily. But they're also saying like, hey, all this power and authority and influence I have, go ahead and wipe the slate clean effectively. Put, you know, uh, and, and that is the, the, the temptation to not do that, I, I can imagine in, in most cases is really high. And so, but, the, but that might just be the kind of decision that allows you, again, to put people on a higher value project perhaps, maybe generate some more revenue and then not have to do the layoffs in a year. Yeah, the, the time just before you ship is, is the most expensive time in the product. You're presumably at your largest. You're about to go on a big marketing spend. Like, there's the earlier you can kill a project, the better, because it's it's cheaper to do that than it is to like kill a project right before it launches or after it launches. God forbid. There's a lot, yeah, that's going on in the landscape. You know, again, as I think about this idea of depression and burnout, I wonder what you both think about in the moment, what we can do as leaders or, or how we should think about that when it's happening, because it is happening all around us. I'm sure a lot of studio leads and senior people are asking themselves this question, like, how do I show up in a way that's effective given this? Greg, you mentioned something really interesting earlier where you were like, you know, <laughs> it used to be the case back in the old days where I used to be like, ah, you know, it, we can kind of power through it. It's like, you know, the timetable for the upswing is not that far away, but I'm not so sure about that anymore. And it makes me wonder if there's like actually this sort of like being present with people emotionally in the moment. That's actually part of the the cake that we're all baking now. And and that's when I think about that idea, I become uncomfortable. And I, I know a lot of leaders that I've worked with in the games industry are not not that's not necessarily like a strong suit for them. Um, you know, we're very like technical. We're very like logic oriented. We're very. So it's like, what does it mean to actually like show up in the spirit of adding value against that problem right now? Because you're right, Greg, you can't solve it. It's like, I can't make the pain go away. You know what I mean? So, so maybe I just need to like sit there with you and just listen or something. Like what, what, is it, what do you guys think that that looks like practically? I'm curious. I mean, listening helps a lot and you can do it either individually, like with one of your leaders or one of your direct reports. And that was something else I had to learn kind of the hard way is by, my um, predilection was always, oh, someone has a problem, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help them solve it, or I'm gonna solve it, or I'm gonna give them the answer. Sometimes people just wanna vent, and that's a very human re response to just say, hey, I'm going through all this stuff, I don't necessarily want you to tell me how to fix it or to jump in and fix it for me, just expressing it helps me feel better about it. And you could do that one-on-one -on -one with people, you could also just do it with a team and say, hey, today, like my studio, we always have a like spicy topics day, like, Hey, bring up things that you're worried about that you feel are normally like, oh, that's not OK to talk about, whether it's, hey, I'm not happy with our HR policy or I don't like the way we run meetings or anything, um, just so people feel like there's safety there and they're not going to be you know, judged or punished just for raising a question. Mm. And, and there's a deliberate creation of space for that, too, that I hear where you're like, I think that that's actually you know, from a coaching perspective, you know, from as trained coaches and, and with the skills to, to, to solve those kinds of problems or, well, I say solve it's, it's, you're not really solving. And that's kind of part of it too, that we're talking about is, um, you, <laughs> you almost have to become comfortable with the lack of resolution that sometimes comes with the emotional type issues. And so I love what you just suggested there. I, I wrote that down, which is like, Hey, 
when that's happening, when the temperature is rising, create, take a step back, create space. For that, create space for people, create space for thoughts and feelings. And, and as a leader also, I would say know that you may spend two hours doing that and not have like clear action items necessarily that come out of that. You may not be able to boil it down with that level of specificity that you might if it were like a feature conversation or, you know, a budget conversation. So, you know, that might be outside of the comfort zone for a lot of leaders. Totally. And then to, to, to add on to that, you can't just take off the, the, the list either be like, OK, I talked to this person. Now they're fine. It's like, no, they may not be fine for a long time. Let's let's say you're starting a game studio, which you are, but there's other people out there or you're leading a team and you're trying to set up these environments. We talked about the idea of transparency and openness the importance of listening and things like that. But what does it mean to actually avoid or or do your level best to avoid a world of despair and burnout and demoralization? How do you set things up from the beginning so that you don't end up there? I think I can't imagine starting a, a, a new studio and maybe even a team, it depends on how large the team is, where you talk about your values and how you want to work so that you kind of agree, are we going to have an environment where anyone can raise a concern about anything? Or are we going to have an environment where you trust the subject matter experts and you know they're, it's their call? Like Neither of those is wrong. You just kind of have to have an agreement with the team of, of how, it is you wanna, how it is you want to work. Um, I think for me, something that always, always works is just to give people a ton of agency. One of the most frustrating things I think that can lead to despair, demoralization, and burnout is, is the micromanagement aspect of it. When you tell someone, okay, you get to make this decision, asterisk, if I don't like it, I'm going to come in and, and kind of um, you know, change, change it on you. That's very demoralizing, as is people kind of just not knowing their sphere of influence or what decisions they can make. So they end up just coming to you with every single thing like, well, do you want to OK this? Do you want to OK this? Because I don't want to run the risk of you someday having to, to step in and, and course correct. Mm -hmm. So, so ag agency is one. Agency is a big one. We talked about the, the transparency, I think, which goes along with context. Just make sure like. Why are we pivoting our marketing plan? Well, let's talk about it for these reasons. Um, I just had a discussion with, with my brand new studio where we were talking about what is our travel policy going to be? Because of course, everyone would love to fly business class everywhere. Like who wouldn't? That sounds like a great travel policy. And we just talked about it with the team of, okay, let's look at the cost of a business class ticket to somewhere like China. Let's talk about how many times a year we want to fly. Let's talk about, you know, that overall travel cost is going to be X hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of years. Is that where we want to spend our money? We can also spend that money to hire another engineer. Um, what's more value to you as a team? And maybe there's a world where the team's like, no, what's the most value to us is to be comfortable when we fly, even if that means, yeah, even if that means we can't deliver all of our features the way we want. That's And just going through that conversation, the team felt really good about the decision because they felt like they understood why we were making it. They felt like they had a chance to weigh in and say what was important to them. And we kind of said, hey, can you know help us solve this problem? You see the issue here is that our budget is not unlimited and we have very ambitious game goals. So, you know, there have to be some things we just can't do. So those two, yeah, agency and, and context, I think, are really, really big. Um, can, can I just tack something into that, too? And I, and I hope this doesn't call you out. And I, I'm very confident it doesn't. One of the other things that I think would be problematic is if you talked to the whole team about that policy and you were like, 
yeah, when we go to China, we're not going to fly business class. And then later on, they find out, unless if you're a C-level in this company, and then you're flying first class, um, right? And and again, I think that's something, too, where, um, to talk about that idea of accountability and the consistency of like, hey, we're all in this together, right? And, um, you know, Simon's next book, Leaders Eat Last, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a big concept there. Like, you, no, you don't get the better stuff, you know, in many t- ways you do, you get, you get the larger paycheck or whatever. You also get the greater responsibility and a lot of that decision-making and that sort of thing. But really that leaders eat last, like if, if they're all flying, uh, economy to China, you're flying economy to China. Right. And you're and sitting maybe with them. It's not like, the, Hey, I'll see you. What do we exactly. Like? Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, I'm going to go up to where they serve me, you know, those nice little martinis with a thing. And then, you know, that's no, we're, we're, we're right here with you. Um, and again, may, maybe there's a world where you're wildly successful and that becomes a, a non-issue in the future. But, um, but yeah, I think that's something else I would say is that the context and the, that consistently applied, um, I remember after one of the big um, riot all hands meetings, um, Dylan, the, the now CEO at the time, we were up on stage talking. We finished. People all all leave. And Dylan starts to help stack up the chairs. And I remember someone just leaning over to me and saying, like, I can't imagine many companies where the CFO just like without asking, without an audience, is just going to help stack up the chairs because it's the right thing to do. And that's that's. When people talk about servant leadership, that's the example I always think of is, oh, I'm not better than you. I'm not super important. I'm a a guy and I can help, you know, I can help stack chairs. Over the last few years, producers have been asking Aaron and I, what's my role? What are the skills I should develop? How do I advance in my career? Game production is in a rough state. We've launched a course to help. It's called Succeeding in Game Production, What You Aren't Taught. Early feedback from our beta tester and early access audience has been overwhelmingly positive. So we're looking to help even more producers. If that's of interest, check it out in the show notes or head to buildingbettergames.gg and click course. Thanks. Appreciate you listening. Yeah, I I keep coming back to this point you made about agency, Greg, and it strikes me that if there's anything that's even remotely in the ballpark of like a panacea against depression and burnout, that's probably the one like, like, let's say the whole damn thing burns down, the whole studio burns down. If everyone felt like they had a hand in it, like they had serious skin in the game and that their opinions and their efforts were valuable, like they had real like spiritual equity in the company. Like, I I think it's so much easier to walk away from that and feel like it was a good experience. Um, and that's such an I, I, re- I think I really believe in that. And I've seen that time and time again. I you know, it's it's funny. There's a, a, a follow up question, I think, or it begs the question, why don't more game studios do that? Why don't more game studios lean into that approach? And the only answer I can think of, and I'm curious what both of your thoughts are, is that it it's actually hard in a completely different way than many leaders are used to to run a studio where everyone has really high agency. Yeah, it's a very common pattern where a leader will say to the team, "Okay, I trust you. You go run with this. And then they go pay attention to another problem. And then they kind of come back after a few weeks. They're like, oh, this is off the rails. Oh, no, maybe everything is off the rails. Maybe I'm a bad leader because I allowed all this to happen because I wasn't paying enough attention. And then they seagull in and and cause a bunch of chaos and everyone's unhappy. You you really have to if you're going to let people have agency, you really have to let them get them. Let them go do their stuff and trust them that they're going to do it right. And then 
at the end, you can evaluate it, or again, even better is let's talk about is there a pattern of you you tried this, it didn't quite work, did you learn from it or not? Um, I think leaders just get scared. They feel like, well, the buck's on me. If this bad thing ships, that's my fault. For me, the, the two things that come to mind, and one it comes back to that idea of trust. And I think that there's, yes, you want to be trusted by those you lead. You also want to be able to trust those you lead. And if you don't, then you put stricter and stricter constraints on their behavior and those constraints limit their autonomy. Now, some of that might be okay, right? It, let's say, because I think Riot did a phenomenal job with agency. Um, like you, you and I, you know, both kind of grew up in that world. And for me coming out of the military, it was such a breath of fresh air and scary in times. Cause it was like, Oh, I'm actually responsible, right? Like I am going to be held accountable for if I do this well or not. And so Riot, I think did a really good job there. Riot also did a really good job of helping me feel like they trusted me, like the default to trust thing and that, Hey, I'm going to go execute. And sometimes people were like, yeah, I don't know if that's the right move, but I, it's in your space. It's in your sphere. Go for it. And I think that also that second thing that's in your space, it's in your sphere. Go for it. I think something that leaders need to do is one, trust their people and two, define the sandbox. Um, like one thing that, uh, you don't want is to have a team that's, you know, let's say they're doing like I don't know, core content creation for um, a, a PVE style game that requires regular content updates. So there's like a lot of stuff they're doing. They're working on it. You don't they don't have the agency to get together on their own and just go, wow, we just came up with a really cool idea for a game. We're going to stop making content for this existing game. We're just going to go start making this new game. That'll be fun, won't it? Like and we we're taking our agents like, no, there's there's a box that you draw. And I think the if you trust people, you draw that box as big as possible. And to Greg's point, you provide the context and now agency can operate well. But if you don't trust them, you draw a little narrow box or if they don't have the context, you have to draw a little narrow box because they don't actually know how to operate with agency. So I, yeah, just doubling down on what you said is like, that's super important. Uh, and I, I kind of agree it's at the top. Uh, you have to draw the box, even if very senior, very experienced people, you're not doing them a favor. If you're like, you can do anything, but, but not really. Like I think of it like signing authority, you know, at, at companies, the CEO can spend any money they want. And then maybe the vice presidents can sign and, you know, spend up to a million dollars and down the line, you have to just be honest with people of like, this is the space I'm giving you. You're making PVE content, so you can't change what the game is. You can't, you know, you can hire up to five people. You can't fi hire 500 people. Just show them where the, the limit is. They'll feel better about it, even if they know their, their you know, guardrails. It's so true. And it's and it's also true. It's more truthful. Like, I, lo I love what you just said, because it's like, let's be honest, you can do anything really means you can do anything until you fuck up bad enough for me to get in trouble. Because <laughs> then I'm going to come talk to you about it. Right. And I've seen that before. I saw that at Riot. I've seen it at other studios where it's like the only reason my manager is giving me an earful right now is because somebody gave them an earful. And that and I'm like, this is the most reactive way to create that box. Right. And so if, if you're creating if the only time you create boxes is is in that scenario, they're going to be really bad boxes. <laughs> 
<laughs> so like, it, like everything was fine. We were all about agency until there was a consequence, right? Like, and, and so I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love that point where it's like, there's a deliberateness and a proactiveness that you want leaders to take in drawing that box. And by the way, you might still be wrong in drawing that box, but I think it's a valuable exercise to do that. And, and it allows that person to bring their agency to bear for clear goals and outcomes too, which is really cool. Um, as opposed to just, you know, like we, we all like love to sit around after we just blew budget for like four years spinning our wheels and then be like, how did this happen? And it's like, well, <laughs> I'm like, are you telling me we didn't have a single opportunity to address this in the last four years? <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of that. So we've talked about agency. We've talked about context. We've even talked about how they interrelate. Anything else that that you think about uh, when you think about setting up that environment so that we you, know, you don't end up in that demoralized, burned out place? I think there's an element of um, part of your job as a leader is to is to to be inspiring, to set the vision, and it's not what we talked about before of you know blow smoke no matter what. Like you, you do need to be honest with them, but people want often. They want a leader to follow. And, and if you're the leader, you need to give them, you know, direction. And you could do that in an inspiring way of like, we want to make a game that speaks to this kind of player, or we want to make a game that wins a bunch of BAFTA awards, or whatever the goal is. Um, setting that up and being really clear about this is again, it's almost like drawing the box. It's like, here's where we want to play, here's where we don't want to play. Um, at, at a super high level. Like this is the kind of studio we want to be, these are the kind of people we want to attract. Um Give them that that mission, that sense of purpose, I think is really powerful. I love that. Take your people to the promised land. It's like that feels good to have your leader taking you to the promised land, right? It's I think that there's a lot of just really positive energy that you can derive from that every day when you know that there's purpose to what you're doing. That's that's such a great I, I actually do feel like that is also some kind of an antidote against burnout. For most people. Yeah, because they have a they have a mission. I'm curious, like, you know, because a lot of people out there might say, like, yeah, I got a vision. Like we <laughs> we ran into one person who's like, well, yeah, I've got a 96 page vision deck that I sent to everybody in the company. It was like, oh, boy, that's probably not having the intended impact. Um, but, you know, like you, you got I've got a vision. I, I shared my vision with them. They should be motivated now. Um, like, well, how do you know that's working? If you hear them say it back to you, if you hear them talk about it, you know, I, you know, I'm looking on Slack and someone will say, Hey, remember the goal of this feature was blah, blah. And you're like, Oh, okay. They're getting it. And it's hard. We often feel, I think as leaders, like we're repeating ourselves. Like, why do I have to start every meeting with our mission statements? Like, because you need to, you need to keep repeating it until it really sinks in. Sometimes people have that moment. Oh yeah. That's why you keep saying we're, we're doing this. That makes sense now. That's how you don't get into this situation. Many leaders are out there are already in this situation. Their teams are burned out. There's demoralization, there's despair, hopelessness. Um, and now you're a leader. Like, what do you, how do you relate to that? What do you do? I mean, your first job in that situation is you have to take care of your team. And I've been very impressed. I think with a lot of the leaders right now who are talking about, yeah, I may have lost my job. That's not important to me right, right now. I need to really like make sure my team is okay and then I'll worry about myself. Or or I, I wasn't let go. I'm still here, but I still have to make sure that my team is good. Like that's always, for me, the side of a leader is like the first thing to do is think about the people and what they can do. Um, I, you know, unfortunately there's not like, in my opinion, a silver bullet. There's not a, if you just do this, you'll fix everything. I think a lot of what we talked about applies. Be empathetic, 
give space, understand you're not going to fix it immediately, especially with logic or platitudes. Um, and this may be the time to try different things. Like you're in a you're in a bad space. Maybe the way you were running the team is partially what got you there. Maybe there are ways to 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 try new things now. Like we're gonna try to be more transparent, or we're gonna try to give more agency to, to individuals, or we're gonna try to rally around a mission statement. Like those may be it may not be too late to try those, even though you're already in trouble. That's the the thing that pops up for me too, and I love that you came back to sort of agency. When things start going down, that's when the demoralization happens. That's when we start experiencing the burnout. And it's interesting. Also, that's when organizations start constraining. They start constraining the behavior of those that are there because they're trying to like force a positive outcome. And maybe if I can just make sure everybody does the right thing, which you can't because you don't actually know what the right thing even is. But maybe if I could do that, then we'll be okay. And the irony is that if we described increasing agency or having agency, a healthy amount of agency as something that builds morale and avoids that outcome, shrinking it makes it worse. And so you're trying to save things, but you're actually exacerbating the team morale problems you're experiencing. Heroism in a moment of crisis, like that's that's like the human dream. I mean, we celebrate that stuff all the time. The firefighter who runs into the burning building or stuff like that. So I think moments of crisis are a good opportunity to give people a lot of agency because the, you know, the adrenaline is probably pumping and they want to, you know, they're in a, a problem solving mindset. So disempowering them then is probably one of the worst things you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, uh, coming up for you or Aaron, any thoughts that you have about, yeah, how do you get, you know, you're there. Um, how do you get out of this? Last thing then to hit on, uh, and Greg, this was actually, I think, at the very genesis of us kind of wanting to dive into this topic, was the the conception or misconception, really, that team morale is about, let's say, great swag and going out to nice restaurants as a team. Right. And, And the funny thing is, I do think that stuff is important. Like, you want to socialize with your team. You want to take pride in your team by having, you know, stickers that you put on your laptop or T-shirts or, or whatever that you wear. But I think the mistake a lot of leaders make is thinking, A, that that's all I need to do and B, that I can outsource it, that I can just find some EA or HR person and say, you're now the morale officer. You make sure we have a party every six and a half months or whatever, and, and then morale will be good. It's, it's not plug and play like that. Yeah. And back to what we were talking about, about uh, cynicism being the gap between what you say as a leader and what people know is true. I've actually seen companies and studios invest a lot into that sort of thing and actually have their team become more cynical as a result. Because when you know things are bad at work and then your leader's like, here, take this sticker and put it on your backpack. You're like, fuck you is the logical... We're going to have a happy hour tonight, but I'm I'm really busy, so I'm not going to come, which, again, is just sending the message. Oh, you, you all don't matter. You're the little. Yeah, ex- exactly. There's so many. It's like you you missed it. You know, you lost the plot and you thought because you checked the box that the things would get better. And I think that's so much of the point. It's like your team knows if you really care and you're really invested or not. Yeah, we Aaron and I have run into um, I think they were like culture officers basically. And we were really excited to talk to them because you're we like, Oh cool. Someone who's actually there to help maintain the culture. And then we discovered this was more what they did. They organized the trips. They, they were sort of an event planner 
type of person. And it was, it went from like this elation of, wow, you're really taking this seriously as you scale to, oh, you don't actually understand what culture is at all. Um, you, you really, and, and again, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mock swag cause here I am very, very proud of my riot mug or my riot glass here, um, uh, that, that I use all the time. And, um, but there, there is definitely, it's, it, it, it's a nice, I would say it's like something you should do, but it's by no means any of the essential elements of what it means to build effective morale. And in an environment where I had leaders who were being transparent with me, who were giving me agency, um, who had some kind of compelling vision for me. And I knew that we don't have money for swag right now. We don't have money for parties right now. I could still be very highly motivated to move forward. Um, where I think the inverse is, is less likely where it's like, Oh, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't have agents. But man, we went out to the five-star steakhouse, you know, two quarters in a row. Woof. And then we let a bunch of people go. Does that mean we spent too much money on steak? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> you definitely spent too much money on steak at the five-star steakhouse, but I'll do Each it again. 12 of those steaks was one artist. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's, it's so interesting as we break this down because it is, it, a lot of it is when I think about it and I'm being empathetic and reasonable, a lot of it is counterintuitive, you know, and um, it, it real a lot of it does come back to like this is a living, breathing organization full of humans. It's not a box checking exercise. You know what I mean? You can't like to your point, Greg, you cannot outsource this kind of stuff. It's too important. And, and I think one of the reasons it's so important is because. The work that you do, even though you might not be able to see a tangible outcome in that moment to moment interaction that you as leader have that cascade, like I love what you said about they can repeat it back to me with a vision that doesn't just mean that there's value in the moment where they repeat it back to you. It also means there's value in the moments where they repeat it to each other. And there's value in the moments where they make a slightly different decision about what they're going to prioritize on the feature because they remembered that thing you said. So there's, there's, there's a million little things popping up every day, beautiful things from that investment that you made. And, and, and by the way, also one thing I would say to leaders is the more millions of those little things you have happening every day, the less box checking you will need to do as well. That's that's my favorite part about that. Like if if you have like a really greatly aligned team with high agency, you can like figure shit out on their own and it's right. You don't need this like big hierarchy or process like in it. And it saves a lot of time doing stuff that's not that fun to work. on. Right, right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. And Greg, thanks so much. This is a blast talking to you. A lot of things came up that I, uh, I'm really excited to think more about and I think are really relevant for all of us right now. I'm going to quickly go over the bullet points because there are a couple of them that came out. Um, key lessons for all of you listening to take with you um, moving forward around the issue of, you know, really dealing with burnout, dealing with depression, dealing with a sort of like highly charged emotional environment we find ourselves in in game development today. Um, the first one is really focus on hyper transparency. Be upfront about the constraints, the risks, what you know and what you don't. You're making an investment in the trust between you and your team when you do that. 
Be aware of emotion. As a leader, you might be tempted to use logic to solve emotional problems. They are fire and water. Sometimes just letting it be and going on that journey with your team is, is the best thing you can do. Number three, you may not have the luxury of next year things will get better. You may need to be in the moment and again, go on that journey and really just demonstrate empathy and compassion as things are happening. Four, create space for people to discuss spicy topics, uncomfortable topics, etc. Recognize that that space is value and it's not about specific resolutions necessarily. Listening for two hours could be the best thing you can do for your team in that moment. Number five, cynicism is the gap between what you say as a leader and what your team knows is true. Avoid toxic positivity and acknowledge what is and is not working right now. Number six, give people maximum agency from day one. This is as close as you'll get to a panacea to handle things like burnout and depression, but also make sure that you define the sandbox. That definition is really going to help them perform, help them focus and help you have a more enlightened conversation with them after the fact. Number seven, context or give context always and provide context. Like, for example, when we're talking about that sandbox, it's a context driven conversation and make sure you make deliberate bets. And when you make bets, talk to your team and get them invested in what those bets are and aren't. Number eight, be inspiring and set a clear vision. Take your people to the promised land. You'll know it's working when you're repeating it a lot and they start to say it back to you in turn. Now, finally, to wrap things up, when we talk about if you're already in a bad place and you want to walk things back, some things you can do, take care of your team as a top priority. If you really can come in and deliberately say, I'm going to take care of these people because I know we're going through a tough time and they see that you're prioritizing that, that can go really, really far. And then finally, as we talked about before, be empathetic, give space and try different things than you did last time. I, I personally, when I think about my leader going, hey, we're going to do things differently and we're going to try X, Y, Z specific things that we weren't doing before. So we don't run into this again. That can be very cathartic and avoid platitudes or empty words or press conferency type communications. Um, that doesn't feel good when you know things aren't going well. Perfect. Greg, what should people check out? Where do you want to send people? Um, our studio is called Fantastic Pixel Castle. I think the website is fantasticpixelcastlestudio.com. We're probably pretty easy to find from a Google search. Um, happy for people to follow me on, on LinkedIn or the platform formerly known as Twitter. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for being here, Greg. This is awesome. I, I, I would love to do it again. Perfect. I think we would too. So maybe that'll happen. Did you enjoy this content? If you did, check out our newsletter where we will deliver one actionable step that will increase your chances of delivering a successful game straight to your inbox. Join game developers across the world and sign up for the Building Better Games newsletter at buildingbettergames.gg newsletter. Again, that's buildingbettergames.gg newsletter. Thanks for listening. There's no shortage of challenges in game development, and leaders are often attempting to solve huge problems without the support, direction, or mentorship they need. It leads to stress, anxiety, and often feelings of isolation. We've been the leader filling out in a limb with no help, and we wish that on no one. Because of this, Aaron and I are offering focused short-term coaching for the challenges you are facing. We'll spend time with you every week to help you understand and overcome what's in your way. If you've got problems and want help from coaches who have spent time leading real game development, check out the show notes or head to buildingbettergames.gg and click coaching. Thanks for listening.